this particular week that we are about to live, uh, Lord willing, the time between Palm Sunday and Easter has been rightly called the week that changed the world. Because from Palm Sunday to Easter, we see the glory and the grace of God in those days like nowhere else in history. The only other week that I know of in history that would come close to this Holy Week would be the week of creation in the book of Genesis where God took six days and created. But there we see the power and the glory of God. But this week, we see the grace of God. How God is sacrificing His only begotten Son that we could have eternal life. So this is a glorious week. And man took creation week and messed it up by sin. But this week is the week that when it was over, God was satisfied. And thank God salvation was available. And I'm grateful and thankful. I trust that you will try to remember that the days of this week and remember each day as it leads up to our Lord's death, His burial, and then on Easter, on that Sunday morning, thank God, His resurrection. This morning we return to Matthew 12, verse number 38. This is the second in a message entitled, The Sign of Jonah. Matthew 12, 38, if you'll follow with me as we read the Word of God. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, but there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And, behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The passage that we have read this morning records for us our Lord's response to the request of the scribes and Pharisees that Jesus give them another sign, that He show them something else to prove to them that He was the Son of God, that He was Messiah, that He was the King of the kingdom of heaven that He had claimed to be. As I mentioned on last Sunday morning, when we look primarily at verse 38 and the first part of verse number 39, Jesus had already done ample Miracles, sufficient miracles, sufficient evidence to prove that He was who He claimed to be. And in this text, in Matthew 12, after our Lord had 
healed the demon-possessed man who was blind and also unable to speak, the Pharisees, instead of believing, they accused Jesus of working that miracle by the power of Satan. That's when the Lord responded to them and gave them the word concerning the sin of blasphemy and how they had attributed the works of God to the power of the devil. Jesus responded with a logical argument and said to them, Why would Satan want to cast himself out? Uh, that just makes, uh, that's illogical. That makes no sense, Jesus said. He further gave them his teaching about the sin of blasphemy and how the words that come out of their mouth actually reveal the condition of their heart. It was after that that the scribes joined up with the Pharisees in verse 38 and wanted Jesus to do something else. They wanted Jesus to do another miracle. They wanted Him to uh, do something that would convince them that He was who that He said that He was. They wanted more proof. Just like the lost world, they're never satisfied with the truth of the Word of God. They're never satisfied with the evidence and with all of the truth that is given to us in the Scripture. So in verse 38, there was a sign requested. We looked at that on last Lord's Day. But in verses 39 through 42, we see the sign is rejected. The sign that they requested was rejected by Jesus Christ. He said to them in verse number 39, He said the latter part, And there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. He categorized them just like they needed to be categorized as an evil and adulterous generation. And to categorize them as that was one of the most offensive things that Jesus could have said to this unbelieving crowd. Then secondly, He responded by saying that the only sign that they would see, the only sign that they would see would be that final sign, and it related to what happened to Jonah the prophet, in the time when Jonah was swallowed by the great fish and was in the belly of that fish and then was spit out of the mouth of that fish as a sign of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now our Lord is under no delusion here when He's speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. He is under no pressure to do something amazing or to work another miracle to convince them of anything. And the reason is they were not interested in being convinced. I'll probably mention this again in the message, but I, I stand amazed sometimes at, at Christians at, at how we wonder why people do not believe the gospel. They don't believe the gospel because they don't want to believe the gospel. They're not interested in believing the gospel. And the only thing that will convince them of that is the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Our job is to give them the truth of the Word of God, and it is the work of the Spirit of God to convince them of who they are and of who Jesus is. We ask ourselves that many times, why people believe, why they refuse to believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. There are entire belief systems, entire denominations, entire cults that are based on the denial of the deity of Jesus Christ. The Jehovah's Witnesses would be one of those. Uh, the Mormons, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is another. 
millions of people involved in those two belief systems whose main point of agreement is that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. He is not the Son of God. He is not equal with God. He is not part of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's not where God the Father is. And they believe, and we ask ourselves, why would anyone, why would anyone want to deny that? For the same reason the scribes and Pharisees are asking for another sign. Do something else to convince us that you are who you said that you are. Maybe you've asked yourself that as well. Well, if I read Romans 1, 19-23, if I read that correctly, the Lord has placed that truth in every man's heart. There's a lot of people who work hard every day to convince themselves that they do not believe in God. But if you read Romans 1, 19-23, the Apostle Paul says that every man and every woman has the knowledge of God written on their hearts. They know there is a God and they know that they ought to worship Him, but they work hard not to do that. Why? Because they have no desire to worship God. They want to worship themselves, and they want to elevate their own sinful humanity to the deity in their own life. We are living in a culture that is saturated with that kind of thinking and that kind of living. So Jesus, in our text this morning, makes it clear that the problem is not with the proof. The problem is not with the evidence that He has already provided or will provide. The problem is with the heart of man. So with the scribes and Pharisees, They want a sign from Jesus. And He says to them, there shall no sign be given. It doesn't mean that He will not work any other miracles, because He will. But it means there will no sign be given except the sign of Jonah the prophet. He is saying to them and to us, there is one final sign that God has given. Not just to their generation, but to the entire world, to humanity. The sign of Jonah, which is the resurrection of from the dead. I want you to look with me for a few moments this morning at this final sign, this sign of Jonah. One final sign will be given. It'll be the great, it'll be the great conclusive final sign. It would be given when Jesus made atonement for our sins. He would rise from the dead. The choir sang about atonement a while ago. After our Lord atoned for man's sin, on the cross of Calvary, and after He was crucified and buried, then He rose from the dead on the third day. This would be the final, verifiable, historical sign. If Jesus Christ is somewhere today on earth, in a tomb, buried, and if the resurrection was a hoax, and if the resurrection of Jesus was a myth or a fairy tale, then your faith is in vain and my faith is in vain. And we are the most foolish people on the face of God's earth. But our faith is not in vain. Your faith is not in vain. And we are not the most foolish people on the face of the earth. We are among those who believe by faith that Christ did what the Word of God said that He did. That Christ did what witnesses bore testimony to what He done. That 500 at one time bore witness to the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And our faith stands on that solid foundation. 
It is the one truth that separates Christianity from all other belief systems. That is that our Lord lives. Every man, every woman who has created these false belief systems and false cults are either already in the grave or they are headed to the grave. And once they get there, they will remain there until the day of final resurrection and judgment. But thank God our Lord is alive. And He is not in a grave, but seated at the right hand of God the Father. You say, preacher, you're getting a little ahead of yourself. Well, it's a good place to get ahead of. Thank God He's alive, and He is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Let's look at this final sign here in the Word of God that Jesus said would be the next sign, the final sign, the conclusive sign that He was who He said that He was. Now, I believe He worked miracles. I believe He opened eyes. I believe He healed the sick. I believe He walked on water. I believe He created food in the hands of of His disciples to feed multitudes. I believe every bit of that. I believe He was born of a virgin. I believe that He lived and died a sinless life. I believe all of that because the Word of God says that. But had He not rose from the dead, there would be a deep, dark shadow cast upon all of that. There would have been explanations uh, offered for all of that that men would have bought into. But thank God He lives. And that final sign has been completed. First of all, look with me at the prophet Jonah. And you have to ask yourself, why would Jesus take something as significant and something as important and something as essential as His resurrection from the dead and connect it with an Old Testament prophet by the name of Jonah. Most of us here today know about Jonah. He was a preacher called by God to preach to the Ninevites. You can read his story in the Old Testament book called Jonah. But Jonah hated the Ninevites. God called him to preach to the Ninevites, and Jonah hated the Ninevites. He didn't want any part of going down there and preaching to them, So he decided to take life into his own hands. He got on a ship, paid the fare thereof, and decided he would go live his life in another direction. He was on a ship headed to Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. But Jonah soon realized you cannot flee from the presence of the Lord. If you're here this morning and you're unsaved and you say, I'm living my life and I'm living it as far away from God as I can, Now, that's a bad thing to do. That'll end up in eternal damnation. But let me tell you this, on the authority of God's Word, according to Psalm 139, you cannot flee from the presence of the Lord. If you make your bed in hell, behold, the presence of God. God knows where we are, and we cannot get away from Him. And Jonah gets on the ship. You know the story. As he's on the ship, a storm. God creates a storm. A strong wind begins to blow in John, or Jonah chapter 1, verse number 4. And Jonah's not going to those wicked people. He's not going to those Ninevites. They were the Nazis of the ancient world, a violent and cruel people. And Jonah didn't believe they deserved any of God's grace and mercy. But God sends out this great wind into the sea. And the ship Jonah's on with the sailors is in danger of sinking. And the sailors are trying to figure out the problem. And they finally figure out, Jonah says, I'm the problem. And so they cast him overboard, thinking that will alleviate all of the trouble that they are in. 
in Jonah chapter 1 verse number 8 and verse number 15. Jonah was cast into the sea and the Bible said in Jonah 1.15 that as soon as he hit the water, the sea ceased from its raging. But it also tells us in Jonah 1.17 that before Jonah hit the water, that God had prepared a great fish. Matthew's gospel calls it a whale. It's called a great fish, more accurately uh, in the translation throughout other portions of Scripture. Either way, it was a great fish that swallowed up Jonah. And the Bible said that Jonah, in Jonah 1.17, was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then after three days and three nights in the belly of that fish, the Bible tells us in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, that the Lord spake unto that fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Now that is the sign that Jesus, here in Matthew 12, reaches back and pulls out of the Old Testament which the scribes and Pharisees would have known well, and compared his death and resurrection to Jonah being swallowed by the fish. Now let me remind you, if Jonah had merely gone inside the fish, and then the fish immediately spit him back out, that would not be enough. Jonah went in that fish because God had ordained that Jonah fulfill a mission. He was to be in that fish. He stayed in that fish the allotted time until God brought him out. And when God brought him out, there was no doubt that it had to be by the miraculous hand and power of God that Jonah had been delivered. Jonah had a mission to fulfill. The mission was to go to Nineveh and preach the Word of God. Our blessed Lord had a mission to fulfill as well. God sent him here to preach. God sent him here to preach liberty to the captive. God sent him here to preach salvation. But the only way that could be done was for him to die, to be buried, and to be resurrected. And so he said to the scribes and the Pharisees, if you're looking for the ultimate evidence, if you're looking for the conclusive sign, look to the prophet Jonah. He had a mission. He was here. He spent three days and three nights in the whale's belly or the great fish's belly. And God spit him out. He spit him out. God at the appointed time had him spit out so he could go fulfill the work that he came here to do. So it is with our Lord. If our Lord had not risen from the dead then there would be no Westlenore Baptist Church. There would be no gospel being preached here today. There would be no converting of souls. There would be no changing of sinners' lives because that's a part of the message and the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. The story of Jonah. Liberals and others think this is a weak point of the Bible. If you're a liberal or someone who denies the inspiration of the Word of God you love the book of Jonah. You want to take the book of Jonah, stick it up in, under the nose of the natural-minded man, and say, do you actually believe that a fish, a great fish, or a whale, or whatever you want to label the great fish as, swallowed a man, and that man was inside there for three days and three nights, and then spit him up, and he lives? Do you actually believe that? And the natural-minded man will start thinking about things and pondering things, and, and he'll think, well, you know, that is a little far-fetched. Let me go ahead and say it so you'll not get any, have any misunderstanding. If you have trouble believing the story of Jonah, 
you will never believe the story of Jesus' resurrection. If you have trouble believing that the great fish swallowed Jonah and then spit him out three days later, you will have no ability whatsoever. You will never believe in the resurrection of the dead. Jonah went in the fish's belly, stayed there, and was spat out. That's the story. You say, preacher, do you believe that? Yes, I believe that. Why do you believe that, preacher? Have you studied uh, all about uh, animals and all about great fish and whales? And have you studied about gastric juices and how long men can live? Have you studied all of that? No, I have not. What I have studied is the Word of God. And let me tell you why I believe that. Number one, it's in the canon of the inspired Word of God. It's in there, and that's why I believe it. But number two, I believe it because my Lord believed it. If our Lord had not believed it, He'd have never compared Himself to it. Thank God for the Jonah story, and thank God for the sign our Lord took from that story to compare to His own resurrection. You've got to ask yourself, if you're having trouble with Jonah, why did Jesus believe it? He did. He believed it. He believed it. What is Jesus' attitude toward the Scripture? He believes it. He believes the Word of God. He fulfilled the Word of God. What is His attitude toward the historical accuracy of the story of Jonah? He believed it. He used it. He preached it. His whole life was connected to the story of Jonah when it came to this story, or this part of our Lord's life, to resurrection. That ought to settle it for us. There should be no other question. Next time someone comes up to you, if they ever do, and say, do you actually believe the story of Jonah? Your answer should be, absolutely. And if they say, why? Say, I believed it. I believe it because my Lord believed it. Jesus believed it. Thank God that's good enough for me. I believe in heaven. I don't believe in heaven because people who are having surgery claim they go there and see it. I don't, I don't believe it like that. I've heard people who had surgery that saw boogers, too, and wild things. I mean, other. I don't believe that. I believe that because Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again. I believe that because the Bible said there is a heaven. And the story of Jonah is true because Jesus said it was, and He compared His own death, burial, and resurrection to what happened to Jonah. I want you to note clearly that Jesus accepts the story of Jonah. He accepts it as an historical Record. Do you think our Lord would compare His bodily resurrection to a myth or a fairy tale? This is no Moby Dick story. This is no Cinderella story. Our Lord would not compare His bodily resurrection to some kind of fantasy that happened in the Old Testament. He would not compare it to an allegory or a metaphor that was not in existence, not at all. Jonah was swallowed by the fish. Jonah was spat out by that fish on the third day. Our Lord was buried in a tomb after His death. He stayed in that tomb. And on the third day, thank God, He rose from the dead and He lives forevermore. That's the sign of Jonah. I want to mention something here just in passing. And that's the questionable timeline that always comes up about these three days and three nights in verse 40. For as Jonas, Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, 
so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus, speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, said Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights, and just exactly like it, I will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. This timeline, this is a problem for some because if Jesus was crucified on Friday and raised on Sunday morning, then it don't take too many people to figure out that really is not three days and three nights. I've heard men try to argue and redo the whole the whole calendar and try to think, change things in the Word of God to get our Lord uh, crucified on Thursday. And I know many credible men who, who uh, claim that and know that. But uh, Jonah, Jonah was not three days times 24 hours in the belly of the fish, as Jesus was not three days times 24 hours in the grave. Notice what the text says. The text says three days and three nights. Just as it was in the Old Testament Hebrew, it's a Hebrew idiom. It's an expression of speech. It refers to three days either in whole or in part. It's the same thing as if I would say, boy, when you were talking yesterday or you were singing yesterday, you hit the nail on the head. You are not. I'm not saying that you literally took out a hammer and hit the nail on the head. That's not what I would be meaning. I'm not saying in absolute exact literalness. Either way, Jesus said, this is a sign of the foreshadowing of my resurrection. And according to how Hebrews, according to how the Hebrews talked about a day, our Lord was in the grave as Jonas was in the fish three days and three nights. The sign itself. The Son of Man is going to be in the heart of the earth. Now this is where preachers take a lot of liberty here in verse number 40. And they go to Ephesians and they pull in a lot of passages about Jesus being here and there in the heart of the earth. Please don't overread. If you're going to, that, that's in Ephesians. Deal with that in Ephesians. But here in Matthew's gospel, when he tells us he will be in the heart of the earth, what he is telling us is that our Lord would be dead. Christ was in the grave just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish. He was there three days, three nights, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights. He was in the belly of the fish. Jonah was. Our Lord was in the heart of the earth. Our Lord was dead. Our Lord was not comatose. Our Lord was not in a swoon, some kind of, some kind of a coma as the Passover plot book and all the others down through the years have tried to come up with. Oh, no, no. Our Lord died and He was buried. He gave up the ghost. The Bible tells us that. He died. He said, Father, into Thy hands I commend my spirit. And our Lord died. He died to atone. He died to sacrifice. If our Lord didn't die... There was, there was not a lamb that died in the Old Testament. There was never a sacrifice that died in the Old Testament shedding of the blood. None of that happened if our Lord was, was not dead. Our Lord died and was in the heart of the earth until God raised Him on the third day. You say, preacher, why are you telling us this? We know, we know this. I'm telling you this to remind you there's a whole world that don't know it. And there's people in your family that don't know it. And there are people in my family and your family that was raised to know it, but by the way they live today, they actually deny it because it has never changed their life. This is significant. This is the cornerstone of our faith, the heart of our rejoicing in Christ. 
It was Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. Listen what Peter preached. Acts 2.29 Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Now when Peter is preaching that, They've got to say amen there. They love David. And they knew that David, they knew that David had died and he was buried. And his sepulcher, his tomb was there. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing, Peter says, that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Acts 2, 29-32. The sign of Jonah was declared by Jesus. And then after Pentecost, or at Pentecost, Peter preached it. And that's our message today, that our Lord came, our Lord died, our Lord was buried, our Lord was raised according to the Scriptures and according to the Word of God. And Jesus said, don't ask me to walk on the head of a pen anymore. Don't ask me to change the color of the heavens from blue to green. Don't ask me to do this and that and give you signs and wonders and evidences of this and evidences of that. He said, this is the final sign. My resurrection from the dead. Let me put it plainly and simple. A sinner, an unbeliever, will either believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ by faith and embrace that by faith, or that unbeliever will die and spend a Christless eternity in torment and separation from God under the dark wrath of God forever and forever. If you're here today unsaved, come to the light. Come to the cross. Come to Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess Him with your mouth as Lord and Savior and believe. Jesus said, this is the final this is the conclusive sign. By giving this sign, Jesus is also questioning these scribes and Pharisees. I'm not getting into all of this this morning, but look at verse 41. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Looking at these scribes and Pharisees as they listen to Him, what our Lord is saying is, I want to remind you also that when Jonah was spat out of the fish's mouth, in other words, when Jonah got his resurrection out of the belly, you know the story, don't you? You've read the book, hopefully. Jonah got himself to Nineveh, and he preached. I remember Dr. Phillips saying from this pulpit, in the Bible conferences back in the 70s. He said, you preachers that preach all day, he said, I want to tell you, when God really puts the preach in you, he said, you'll preach like Jonah. Brief, blunt, and blessed. Eight, what, how, it, was, it wasn't but a few words. He went down there, this, you know, repent, or this city will be over. The, it didn't take long to get the message out. He was happy to get there and preached the Word of God. And he said to these scribes, and when Jonah preached after his resurrection out of the whale's belly, fish's belly, Nineveh repented at the preaching. Jonah got mad because they repented, but pouted and sat under a gourd, but they repented nonetheless. You know what our Lord is saying? A greater than Jonah is standing here. 
and I'm preaching to you, and you've seen all of these miracles and signs and wonders and all of these things, and you're standing here lost. And you're standing here in disbelief and unbelief and rebellion. I want to remind you, them pagan, wicked, evil Ninevites, they repented. But you religious, legalistic, oh, top-of-the-line Baptists, you won't repent. You won't fall on your face and ask God to forgive you and to cleanse you because you're a Pharisee, you're a scribe, you were raised in it. You're carrying the Bible. You live right. You're better than other people around you. Jesus said, I want to remind you, scribes and Pharisees, you are now in a position, you are now in a position because of truth where it's too late for you to believe that I am the King that's come to offer the kingdom of heaven. I'm not a prophet, so I don't prophesy. I know preachers who think they are and do, but I'm not a prophet. I have no idea. But I'll tell you this, much... We see in our culture today a culture who thinks they don't need Christ. And they've had the gospel. Lord, this nation has had the gospel. The gospel, the truth. It has the truth. Bibles everywhere. Preaching everywhere. Some's not biblical preaching, but preaching everywhere. And like the scribes and Pharisees, I'll believe it when I see it. I believe it when, it, when, when He comes again. I, I just believe He's going to be merciful to those of us who didn't understand. And He's going to read your Bible. Read your Bible. Jesus is saying to this generation, He is saying, Nineveh repented. The men of Nineveh is going to judge you because they repented and you did not. Lord willing, we'll come back to this text next Sunday on Easter Sunday. And we'll look again at how there is a greater than Jonas here and a greater than Solomon here. Years ago, a songwriter, Lois Gale, I don't know if she's ever been here before. She may have. I don't remember her being here. But she wrote a song entitled, The Last Blood. Some of you will remember that song. It's probably been sung here down through the years. I think the Hayes family sang it for many years, probably still do. It was a very popular song here in the South. Many choirs, quartets, singing groups sang it. And the first, uh, the first verse of that song focuses on or talks about the blood of animals being shed from the time man sinned in the garden all through the Old Testament. It focuses, it focuses the words she wrote focuses on those animals, the blood of animals being shed, the sacrifices in the Old Testament being offered to atone for sin and how that could never fully atone. And then the song leads up to the New Testament where she writes, as only she could, about the Prince of Glory dying and about the grave not being able to hold Christ. It's a song that magnifies Christ's shed blood, the atonement, and the fact that this would be the last blood that would ever need to be shed, that Christ's blood satisfied God. And she's absolutely right in the words that she wrote. 
But I want to close this morning and remind you that long before, and I, and I know Lois Gale, I, I know her, I've been with her in services many times. Long before Lois wrote those stirring words, Jesus told the scribes and Pharisees and us, there shall no sign be given but the sign of the prophet Jonah. I'm no songwriter, but if I were, I would write a song right now entitled, The Last Sign. This is the last sign. Just like that was the last blood we would ever need, this is the last sign we ever need. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't know. Look to the tomb. You've heard me say before, I, I, and I'm not, if this, is, if this is pierced in you or tattooed on you or whatever, I don't know it because I don't look at your piercings and your tattoos and your jewelry. But I detest seeing a crucifix with Jesus hanging on it as a sign of Christianity. If you want to wear something, carve you out a little tomb with a rolled back door. Put that in your ear or over your neck. Thank God I don't recommend you do that. <clears throat> if you're going to put a, that kind of rock in your ear, get a good tattooist or whatever, or manicure, whatever, whoever does that stuff, blacksmith or whoever, get a good one. Our hope, listen, my Lord is not hanging on a cross. And He's not in a tomb. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, soon to return. So the next time you hear the song, this is the last blood, when you get done, say, and your resurrection was the last sign we will ever need. You say, preacher, is that enough to get us home? Well, praise God, that's as far as I'm going anyway, right? That'll get us home. I mentioned, last, or I mentioned in introduction this morning about Holy Week. It's truly the most important week in human history. Creation week is glorious. What a week for God to take nothing and make everything. Talk about having a good week. That's a good week for God. You say, how do you know that? Because everything you've done, he said, is good, right? That's not just some preacher cliche. That's biblical. But when he saw what his son did, God said, I am satisfied. I am pleased. And thank God, atonement has been made. Justification is available. Salvation has been brought down. It's important for you and me every day this week, especially, to think about this week. Just as God did one work of creation on one day and another on the second and the third and the fourth, the plant life, animal life, and the stars and the heavens, all of that is so amazing. On this holy week, all up until Friday, God did something every day in preparation for that Sunday morning, whenever He would raise His Son from the dead. And thank God our justification would be settled. We're going to have a closing prayer. And as we pray, thank Him. Though you may not understand and don't remember every day, though you may not know what happened on every day of this week, and if you'll read many good study Bibles, will tell you what happened on every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, what Jesus was doing, what was happening, and leading up to that. We just thank Him for it. 
because every day was a holy day, because every day brought about mine and your great salvation. And because of those days, thank God I'll be in a place where there'll be no night, but one eternal day forever and ever. Father, I want to thank you this morning for the truth of your word. And Lord, it is only the Holy Spirit who can take this word preached this morning and Lord, bring it to the heart of men and women, boys and girls, and convince them of their sinfulness, of God's holiness, and of the great salvation that's in Christ. Lord, that's not my job. My calling is to preach. And through the foolishness of preaching, Lord, You have chosen to save them that would believe. If anyone's listening, anyone here this morning who has never believed, may they right now, Father, call upon Your name and believe and be saved. I pray You'd help those of us who are saved, those of us who know You this morning. Lord, help us every day this week to keep our mind and heart upon You and the great work You did as You led to Your death and Your burial and Your resurrection. And may we rejoice and be thankful this week. And Lord, I want to thank You again that a little story that just made my eyes bulge and made me look up when I was a kid in Sunday school and seeing a picture of a fish and a prophet and seeing all of that, that little story, Lord, that I had to believe and had to think about long and hard. Lord, that story was woven to my Lord's resurrection. And Lord, You believed it because You preached it. And I believe it today by faith. And I also believe, Lord, that You raised and helped me to live in that faith. I thank You this morning for Your great salvation, for the hope we have in Christ. And as we go our separate ways this morning, Lord, may we go in faith and may we go with a desire to tell others about this great story and about this great truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help all the needs within our church family this morning. I pray you'd be with each and every one that we mention our missionaries, our sick, those in the hospitals, those of our, of our family, church family that's at home and unable to be here this morning. And Lord, I ask you to be with them, the caregivers in our, fa- in our church family, looking after loved ones. I pray you'd strengthen them. Help Brother Gary as he preaches tonight. And Lord, help us as we meet back our teachers, as they work with our children and young people. And each of us here today, Lord, as we leave here, may we leave in victory. May we leave knowing, Lord, that you are not here to dance to our request. You're not here to do things to impress us. But Lord, you came to fulfill the will of the Father, and that you did. And we worship you and praise you for it. To you be the glory for all you did in that first week of creation, and to God be the glory for what you did in that holy week of your crucifixion and resurrection. We bless you and thank you. For it's in your precious name we pray and ask these things. Amen.